just dig into the word with me this morning. Um, and, and I want us to turn to a section of scripture, and we're going to dig into the idea, once again, of fullness. But I want to talk to you about the fullness being filled with the knowledge of his will. And we're going to go to Colossians, um, because we've been talking about how God wants us full. How Jesus came full of grace and truth. How he was full of the Spirit. How he was full of the Holy Spirit. How he was full of love. How he was full of righteousness and holiness. He was full. And how when we talk about in the Bible what what kind of words God uses, he does not use budget words. He doesn't use a little bit, a slight bit. He, when he speaks of what he has for you, when he speaks of the Spirit, when he speaks of, his, of, of pretty much anything he wants to give you, he speaks in terms of fullness. He uses the word full all the time. He uses the word uh, abundance, overflowing. These are words God uses. And so when we pray for the Spirit to break out, we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When we, when we sp- pray, Lord, Lord, fill me with your love, I want to be filled. I want to be full of joy. I want to be full of love. I want to be full of all these things. I want my joy to be made full because that's what Jesus wants. Fullness is, 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 is not the perk. It's the promise. It's what's supposed to happen. The Bible says, and we, we've, we've said this almost every Sunday, we've talked about it, that the church is his body, the fullness of him, of who? Of Jesus, who fills all and is in all. And so really, we've, we've said this, I'll say it every week if we have to, or if we get to, uh, that the world needs Jesus. And so if the world needs Jesus, the world needs the church, but the world needs the church full of Jesus. That's what the world needs. If the world needs Jesus, and they do, and we do, then the world needs the church because the church is the fullness of him. It's the body. And so, we, Lord, if we say, Lord, they need you, Lord, the people need you, Lord, then, then what you're saying is I'm volunteering because I'm, I'm part of that body. And the body's meant to be full, full of the Spirit. We're meant to not just be kind of eking out an existence. We're not meant to be trickling the Spirit. We're meant to be so full that we're bursting, that we're overflowing, that we are uh, ready in season and out, you know, and that's, that's a powerful thing. And I know that we don't always feel full, and thank God that, that feelings don't drive uh, reality, that faith is more than feelings, but I know that sometimes you recognize uh, what's blocking me from being full is not God, it's, it's on my end, it's, and it's not, it's not a matter of, well, I haven't paid my dues or I haven't trained enough. Most of the time it's just either you haven't made room or you didn't even know that you could, there was more. You know, have you ever been, I think all of us at some point in our Christian walk just had the revelation that there was more. And it messed with you. Because you're like, wait, I thought I explored the house. There's another room? You ever had that? Where you're like, I, I know the house inside and out. There's another room here? Oh, man. And, and then what happens is you almost don't want to go through the door. Because you go, I'm, I kind of like that I know the house. If I go through the other door, then that means I'm a rookie again. Do you ever do that? You ever, ever Lord lead you to like a new thing and, and, and a deeper place in him, and you're, all of a sudden you're like, well, I just thought I was an expert Christian. But if I start believing this, then I have to start all over again. I feel like I don't know anything. I think you should have at least three or four seasons of that in your life where you go, I feel like I don't know anything again. That's okay. 
I'm not talking about throwing out your old stuff, but I'm just talking about pressing in. Well, let's, let's go to Colossians and see what God says. I want you to know, and I hope, I hope it t- today that this can be profound and deep, but also very simple. Because the last thing I want is for you to say, um, I don't know. I don't really understand that. I, don't, I think that's for people like you, not for people like me. I don't want you to see that. So I'm just going to take a short amount of time here. We're going to press into this. In, in the book of Colossians, there's a prayer. And, and I love the prayers that Paul prays at the beginning of his letters. He prays this. Yeah, I, let's start in verse 3. This is Colossians 1.3. He says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are praying always for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, with which you, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you've heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now listen, listen to this. Uh, well, actually, let's finish this, and I'll go back. He says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he informed us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul's saying, we've heard rumors of what the Word is doing in your life. We, we've heard rumors that you aren't just learners, that you're doers, because he says, you, you took the Word, but it's bearing fruit in your life. He says, we're hearing about the love you have. We're hearing about the faith you have. So there should be a reputation of what, uh, uh, that, that comes out of what God's doing in your church, right? He, he's, he's not talking to a person. He's talking to a city. And he says, your city received the gospel. The church in Colossae received the gospel so much that we've been hearing rumors about how it's bearing fruit constantly. And he says this. Look, look at this, guys. For this reason also, since the day we've heard of it, We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And if you thought that was a long prayer, you don't even know. Paul's not done. I'm just cutting him off. But he, he keeps going. This is like, it's, it's like a long run-on run sentence that we just added periods because they needed them. But he, he goes, and he, he, I mean, he starts just, I mean, he's fired up. He start, that prayer leads into this amazing theological, uh, you know, statement about who God is and, and how he was in the beginning before everything else. But I just want you to see that he's saying we haven't stopped praying for you, number one. That's good leadership, isn't it? Every believer deserves leadership that will constantly pray for you, not just when you come up for prayer. Right? And here he is constantly, he says, we haven't stopped praying for you. And you know they weren't his only, his only church on his radar. Right. This guy is praying for a lot of people. You know, sometimes when I read these things, I read how, how constantly he's praying for these guys and the Philippians and the Corinthians. And, you know, I go, man, I need more time in my prayer life. Because, you know, I don't think he's just saying, you know how we say, you know, I'll pray for you like a, like a goodbye, please stop talking to me kind of thing. All right, I hear your problem. I'll pray for you. It's not a kiss off. It needs to be a sincere thing. And so when you sincerely pray for people, I, I, I think 
uh, to a man like Paul, Paul knows very well this is powerful. This is not a religious exercise. It's not a ritual. It's not just simply something I do before bed. I'm praying for these people because I know when I pray, something happens. And I've said that we've all, we've all said this before. When you pray that way, prayer is exciting. Prayer is boring if you don't think anything happens. If you, just, if you think nothing changes when you pray and we're just praying just because God wants us to pray so we can be religious, then it's, it's dead boring. But when you know that things are happening and things are changing, boy, that's the most exciting thing on the planet. It's, it's, it's really exciting. So Paul says, I'm praying, and here's what I'm praying. I like that. If you're praying for somebody, tell them what you're praying. He says, we are praying, and, and listen, if, if Paul is praying this, and it made it to the Scripture, I believe all Scripture, you know, the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Right? It came from God. It came through people, but it came from God. I believe that this prayer is God-breathed. This isn't just Paul's desire. This is God's desire. So I, that, the reason I'm saying that is so that you would know this is God's will for you. And you wouldn't have to doubt it. He says, I'm praying that you would be filled, filled, filled with the knowledge of his will. How many, that sounds good, doesn't it? See, we're all seeking out God's will, but wouldn't it be wonderful to be just so full of it, just filled with the knowledge of his will, that that's the most predominant thing in your life is the knowledge of his will? You have a, lot, you have a knowledge of a lot of things. You, believe it or not, you are painfully aware of other people's will. You're painfully aware of who they want you to be, or at least who you think they want you to be. When we talk to people, listen, when I get up and preach in front of you, I've been preaching long enough. I've learned to tune it out. But, you know, early on, I was always thinking about, well, I hope, are they getting this? Are they receiving this? Am I saying it right? You know, I was more aware of people than I was of God. And it's very easy for us to be very aware of everybody else's will, including our own. But he says, I want you to be filled. I'm praying that you are filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now listen, why does he say spiritual wisdom? Why doesn't he just say wisdom? Because spiritual wisdom and understanding is coming from a different place. It's, coming, it's got a different focus, right? Spiritual wisdom is, the, is, is, is really you being aware and understanding things you can't see, things you can't perceive with your five senses, but are just as real, in fact, more real than the stuff you can touch. Just because you can't see it. Listen, I can't see on the molecular level, but I know it's there. Right? I can't, there's, I mean, I know that there are atoms and, and, and I know that there are protons and electrons moving around my Bible. I can't see them, but I know they're there. And the spirit world is even deeper than that. And God, God tells us it's real. The Bible tells us we've experienced, we've seen the results of it. Now, here's what he says. I want you to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because, listen, if you can know God's will, but if you don't have understanding, you won't know what to do with his will. Or you won't interpret his will properly. I could tell you what I want, but if you don't know me, you might think I want something different. Like if somebody were breaking into my house and we were away, you said, hey, um, I drove by your house and somebody's breaking the window. What do you want me? And I was like, oh, well, do something. Take care of it. And then we get cut off. 
and you think take care of it means you should beat the snot out of them, you might not understand my will properly. <laughs> or you think, oh, take care of it. I'm supposed to hit this person over the head with a wrench. No, don't do that, please. I don't want you to go to jail for me. Right? So, so you knowing me, when I say take care of it, you can interpret that a lot of different ways. Does he mean call the police? Does he mean hit him over the head with a wrench? Does he mean just watch and, and to take video with my cell phone? No, I don't mean that. But, but you knowing me and understanding me, that would change how you understand what I say. Jesus said in John chapter 5, he says, you know, he says, everything I hear from the Father. First of all, he's already told them, I don't say anything and I don't do anything unless the Father says so. Then he says, everything I hear, I judge. That's important. Hearing and judging are two different things. As a lot of people who have learned to hear from God haven't yet learned how to judge it. You know what I'm saying? God's speaking. You, also, you have to hear and then you have to judge, right? So when, when the prophet Agabus stood up in front of the, the church in Jerusalem and said there's going to be, or not church in Jerusalem, church in Antioch, and said there's going to be a famine over the whole world, well, that's great information. What am I supposed to do with it? But not only did they hear that there's going to be a famine, but they had the understanding to know we should take up an offering, right? There's hearing and then there's judging. There's hearing and then there's understanding. And so Jesus says, everything I hear, John chapter 5, everything I hear, I judge. And listen to this. You know that my judgment is true because I don't seek my own will, but I seek the will of the one who sent me. How many times have we seen, maybe, you know, listen, I'll put myself on the stage here. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it over and over in, in, in the church is when we are seeking our own will. Even when our own will comes from a good place, when you're seeking our own will, we painfully misinterpret what God is saying. Jeremiah writes, he said, don't listen to those prophets. Now, he doesn't say they're false prophets. He doesn't say they're not actually prophets. He just said, don't listen to them. They are prophesying wrongly, for they are prophesying out of their hearts. Interesting. It says the reason they're prophesying wrong is they're not saying what I'm telling them to say. They're prophesying out of their hearts. You ever want something you think God wants it to, and you want it so bad that you begin to hear things differently? And then you say, God said it. Well, God didn't say it. Then what happens is you got a whole group of people that say, I don't believe in the prophetic anymore. Why? What's been wrong, 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 wrong? Well, maybe it hasn't been wrong, 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 wrong. Maybe we've misinterpreted. Maybe we've misjudged it. Maybe we've filled in too many blanks when we shouldn't have. Maybe we put our will on top of God's will and combine them. But God's not done with the prophetic. You need the prophetic in your life. You just need to know how to handle it. So here he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Listen to this. So that. So that. So there's an end point to this. When you are filled with the knowledge of his will, you're going to walk different. What, what's your walk? That's your life, right? That's your lifestyle. That's, that's how you're living. You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord when you are filled with that knowledge of his will. So when you are convinced, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what God wants me to do. You'll walk different. It'll, it'll cause your action to be different. And it says you will please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. 
I love that. Because, you know, a lot of times we know that we're supposed to, we're put on this planet to do the work of the Lord. We're put on this planet to do good work. But we just don't know what it is. And so we're, we're like, uh, we're busy. We're, we, we think to bear more fruit, I need more branches. Whereas Jesus said to bear more fruit, you need to cut off the branches that aren't bearing fruit. So, so we're trying to do a million things because we're trying to please God. But we don't know which of those things is the right thing. You know, when I first started preaching, um, I was young, uh, had something to say, I thought. I, and, 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 and so, you know, you start preaching and people see a young guy preaching and they go, hey, you know, we could use a young guy preaching over here, here, here. And all of a sudden there were all these doors open for me that weren't open before. And I just thought if there's an open door, you got to go through it. If there's a door open, you got to go through it because there weren't any doors before. <laughs> so I guess if there's a door now, it's God. Well, I learned really quickly, not every open door is God's open door. Not every open door is God's open door. So you have to say, which door is yours, God? There was an open door to Asia for Paul, and, and he says, the spirit of Jesus forbade me from going. Told me not to preach in Asia. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit telling you not to preach? That's what the Spirit told Paul. And so here we have to, we say, okay, I, I, I wonder what it would look like if every good work I put my hand to is bearing fruit. Every branch in your life is meant to bear fruit. And the branches that aren't bearing fruit may need to be pruned. But it begins with the knowledge of his will. Paul said, I'm not boxing as if I'm beating the air. He said, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not shadow boxing here. I want to hit something. He said, I'm not running the race for a participation trophy. I'm running the race to win. So when you know that, you're saying, Lord, I need direction because I don't want to waste my life. I've only got a few years on this planet. And it seems like a long time when you're 15. It doesn't seem like a long time when you're 75. You say, like, I mean, I don't have a lot of time here, Lord. And I'm not talking about panic, but I'm saying, I'm, I'm talking about focus. Saying, my life matters. My breath matters. So, Lord, I want to do, I want to bear fruit in every good work. Everything you've called me to do, I want it to be bearing fruit. He says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, that's key. Because you really can't have the knowledge of his will without the knowledge of God. It would be like, the reason I know my wife's will, I don't know everything my wife wants. I don't know everything she likes. But I know more than I did five years ago. And I know it not because she keeps telling me, but because I'm getting to know her. And because I get to know her, I, I'm a little bit better, hopefully, in knowing what she wants, what she likes, what she doesn't like. So really, when we talk about knowing his will, I found this, and, and maybe you're like this, maybe you're not, but I found for a lot of us, what we're looking for is a series of downloads of his will. We want him to tell us, and then we want to walk away and do it. Now, if that's a word from God, if that's a dream, if that's a whatever, if that's a book that somebody gives us and it really resonates with us, that's great. That's what I want. And thank God, God will use all those things, but they're not meant to be a bypass of relationship. They're meant to be a fruit of relationship. Not a way to bypass it. Do you understand? And so, let's put it this way. Being filled with the knowledge of his will is less like a download and more like a live stream. 
Does that make sense? So when you have a doubt, no, I can see. All right, I'll have to explain that. Uh, when we, when we, uh, somebody sends you a video and says, you need to watch this message, or you need to watch this TED Talk, or whatever, and it's a download, you like downloads because you can download it, you can disconnect and go offline, you can watch it when you want to watch it, you can skim through it, you can watch it at two times speed. Have you ever done that? That's a lot of fun. And don't lie, because I know our website has the feature where you can listen to these sermons at two times speed. And I know some of you have done that. I'm fully aware of that. <laughs> and in fact, it's okay in certain circumstances. But, uh, but you know, like, when we do these, when we're, we're live streaming this morning. We're not live streaming this service. But we're live streaming a pre-recorded service this morning on, on our church website. Well, that live stream, there's a reason we don't just give somebody, everybody a link to watch it whenever they want to watch it. We live stream. Number one, we want people to be together. But number two, we want you to stay hooked in. Because when I get a download, I, I can skip around. I can pause it, do something else. I can put it on double speed. I can disconnect, watch it when I want to watch it. But when something's a live stream, you got to stay connected. Or else you miss something. What God wants for you and from you is a relationship, not just a series of Tell me what to do, and then I'll talk to you when I need more information. Knowing his will is not just like, Lord, tell me what your will is. It's about walking with him like the disciples walked with Jesus. And when you're walking with him, so, so what we're looking for is God, tell me, God, tell me, God, tell me. Then let, I'll go do it. Then when I need more, tell me more. Whereas God says, let's go for a walk together. Let's walk this through together. Come with me. Lord, can you just tell me where we're going? You're going with me. But Lord, can you tell me how far we're going so I know what shoes to wear? Just walk with me. Your shoes are fine. Now, that's not as comfortable for us. Because we, when that happens, you're out of control. Have you ever had someone who says, come on, we're going for a drive. What do I need? Get your coat, get your shoes, come for a drive. Where are we going? I'm not telling you. We're going for a drive. If any of you think that I would like that, I don't like that. I feel dreadfully out of control. <laughs> tell me where we're going. My wife will tell you, I don't like surprises. I don't see the point. I don't know if I'm going to get something for my birthday and you already know what it is, tell me now. It doesn't ruin it for me. Oh, we're going to ruin the surprise. Who cares? I'll know what it is. Then I won't buy it. Well, I'll make sure you don't buy it. Well, then I could buy other stuff that goes with it. I get no joy out of a surprise. Like, it doesn't help me at all. So for some people, it's like, pack a suitcase, warm clothes, and cold clothes. <laughs> Where are we going? Somewhere for a week. <laughs> That's terrible. That's my nightmare. Don't do that to me. Like, mm -mm. No, I'm, I, I'll plant my feet like a toddler, and I won't leave. I'm not leaving. You forget that. You, you know, you already know. You can tell me right now. Unless the plane's going to get hijacked. So that's me. So it's very uncomfortable for me that most of my life God has said, I'm going to tell you this, but I won't tell you this. Because if I told you this, you would just take the crow's route to get there. And you just run towards the destination when I want you to walk with me, and I'm going to guide you through it. Because you're going to run through a minefield and blow up. I'm going to walk you the way you're supposed to go. 
And so when we're seeking God's will, we're like, God, give me a word, give me a sign. And he will. But what the word isn't supposed to be a bypass to the daily walking with him. And the daily developing of that inward voice, you know, and, 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 and the time with him and, the, and, and the, the knowing who he is and that spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so being filled with the knowledge of his will, like I said, it's less like a download. It's more like a live stream. God wants you to stay connected. And the download, I could already, I could, I mean, I'll already have skipped to the end. I want to see what the end of this movie is. God says, no, you're going to find out. We're going to walk together. I'm going to give you I'm going to tell you about the end. I'm going to tell you about the middle. I'm going to give you pieces, but you're going to walk with me through it. Now, maybe that sounds like less information, but that's actually more. It's actually more. Every moment, I've said this already this morning, but like every big moment in my life has been marked by a word from the Lord that we had to hang on to. But that word from the Lord only made sense as we dove into him further. So that's why here it says, that all of this happens, and, and the, the final thing is increasing in the knowledge of God. Being filled with the knowledge of his will is tied in to increasing in the knowledge of him. He's not looking, I mean, thank God there are downloads to be included with the live stream. I'd say when Timothy had all of those people lay their hands on him, and the gift of God came on him, and they prophesied over him, I'd say that seems like a download to me, doesn't it? But what happened? Without Timothy pressing into those things, they, didn't, they, didn't, they were neglected, and Paul had to remind him and stir those things up in him. And so you will have downloads, but the download is not a bypass. You have to keep plugged in. It's about walking with him, not just getting information from him. And I want you to see this right now. If, if we were to go uh, um, to the book of 2 Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know the setup. Paul has talked about how when we came to you, we made sure we only focused on one thing, and that was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, you know, because he went to a, a he's, he's talking to a Greek, group of Greeks and Jews that put the emphasis on different things. The Greeks put an emphasis on really good rhetoric, well-formed philosophy. They want to make sure you said it well and you, and you covered all the bases and you basically diffused every argument. That's what the Greeks want. They want philosophy. They want wisdom. What are the Jews looking for? Give us a sign. And so Paul said, when we came to you, we made sure we didn't, we didn't preach in a fancy way. We didn't use enticing words. He said, all we did was we made sure we preached the gospel with the power of the Holy Spirit. With, you know, and Yes, there were signs and wonders, but we, they might not have been the signs that the Jews were looking for. And they certainly wasn't, it wasn't the wisdom the Greeks were looking for. But they said, we focused on this, Christ and him crucified. We kept it simple. But then he says, actually, now that you have developed your faith, we're going to talk to you about some things that you need to be mature to understand because there's wisdom for the mature. He says this in 1 Corinthians 2. Here's the wisdom for the mature. Verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. He says, but it's not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. So 
what he's saying is, how, you guys know what, what age we're living in, right? It's not a year. It's the culture, right? It's the culture, society you live in. He's saying, I didn't speak in the wisdom of the culture. What I, the wisdom I spoke would still not make sense to somebody who wasn't listening for the Spirit. He says, it is not a wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. So listen, if we built our sermons and we built our theology, we built our church doctrine around what the culture is talking about right now, it would pass away. It would be very time sensitive because all of that's passing away. We need to address the culture. We need to be able to speak to the culture. We actually need to be able to speak the culture's language, right? Because we're just talking Latin to everybody. Or if we're speaking in high-minded spiritual ideas that don't make sense, you know, that, that, that nobody can grasp onto, we're not doing a lot of good. But he says there are some things that we say for mature believers that wouldn't make sense to anybody. And he says, because all of that's passing away. Verse 7, he says, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Ooh, a mystery. Is this like Agatha Christie? Is this like Clue? No, like what he means by mystery, if you read the word mystery in the New Testament, here's how it's used. A mystery is something that is hidden from our understanding that only God can reveal. But they're wonderful things. And you know what? Every time the word mystery is used in the New Testament, it's used in combination of how God wants to reveal it and show it to his church. God is a revealer of mysteries. Right? So he want, like, that means he wants to uncover it for you. The Bible says that marriage is a mystery. <laughs> Everybody says amen. <laughs> Boy, howdy, is it ever. The mystery is, he says, I'll speak to a mystery. It's actually a picture of Christ and the church. Oh, wow. He says the gospel itself is a mystery. In other words, the only way the gospel can be understood is if God opens the cover, uncovers it, reveals it, opens your eyes to see it. And that's exactly what happened to you when you got born again. So mystery is something God has to reveal to you. Right? And so he says, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So here's the good news. If it seems hard to understand, don't worry. God made a plan before the world was created to show you, to, un to help you understand it, to unveil it to you. It was not hidden from you. It was hidden for you. There's a big difference, Right? If I hide something from my son, I hide it differently than if I hid it for him. If I hide it for him, my intention is for him to find it. If I hide it from him, I'm going to make sure he never finds it. God hid it for you, not from you. It says this, he, he predestined it before the ages to our glory. Isn't that awesome? Then he says in verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, if they understood it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, he's saying, you couldn't possibly come up with this. It's never even entered your heart. Isn't that amazing? God's got better things for you than you could possibly even conceive of. 
That's why it's so important. Listen, that's why it's important that we don't treat knowing God's will like God is a magic eight ball that tells us yes, no, or I'm not sure. Because when you do that, when all, the only time you're seeking God's will is you're like, God, should I do this or God, should I do that? Listen, that sounds good, but do you know the problem? You're just asking God to either sign off or veto your will. You're not really asking him what his will is. If God's will is nothing more than a yes or no to you, it's still your will. It's just you gave him veto power. You'll never, you'll never conceive of the things he really has for you. God, should I move to Kidscotty or Marshall? And what if he's telling you to move to China? Right? But you gave him two choices. Nope, Kidscotty or Marshall. That's it. It's your only choices. You can't conceive. So, so this is why time with God. Listen, I, I know this was my early. I'll put myself on, on blast. My early experience with God's will was, God, this or that? Yes or no? And it, was just, it came from my will. I'm just asking whether he's okay with it. Rather than spending time with him so he begins to develop his will within you. And, and, and I use that word develop for a reason. Because it's more than just a bam, you know it. It's a shaping of his will within you. Piece by piece. Layer by layer. Molding by molding. Chipping away until over a period of time you have a fully formed idea of what he wants for you and you're filled with it and I'll tell you when you are filled with it it's a lot harder to snatch it away from you if it's just one one moment that it came to you it, it can almost go away in a moment but when through your relationship with God through your time in his word through your time in prayer through your conversations with his people God has begun to shape something in you it becomes much more fully formed, it becomes much deeper rooted, and it becomes much more uh, uh, dimensional than just a, I think this is the thing. And maybe it starts with a picture, maybe it started with a dream, maybe it started with a vision, maybe it started with a word, maybe it started with a scripture that came alive. But don't stop there, pray through it, seek God through it, come back to it over and over again until it gets formed, and it will. He says, these things haven't even entered your heart. All that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows. Except the Spirit of God. If you stop there, you just say, well, nobody knows. His ways are higher than ours. I guess we'll never know. We never know what God's doing. I guess we'll find out in the sweet by and by. But that's not where he stops. He says the only one that knows what God, the only one that knows the heart of God is the Spirit of God. And then the next verse says, now, now, now we have, have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That same spirit that he just says knows everything about God. 
That's the spirit you've received. So he's telling you, the heart of God is not hidden from you. It's being revealed through the spirit of God. But listen, how is it revealed? By the spirit. Now you, you know, thank God for good teaching, but good teaching must be taught even when it's, even when it's teaching your mind. It must be first through the spirit of the spirit, right? And so he's not telling you these things through your natural understanding. He is revealing them by his spirit. And we're going to see that in a minute. And it says here, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know. So that we may know. God wants you to know. And I think that's the struggle. A lot of us go, I don't think God wants us to know these things. I, I don't think God, I, I don't think he, I think there's a lot of things he never wants me to know. No, God wants you to know. But you know in Colossians when, we, when it said, full of the knowledge of his will, and then it, later it says increasing in the knowledge of him, it's not the, the, the there's a Greek word for knowledge, gnosis, which, which is just knowledge. But the word that's used there is epignosis, which sometimes is meant to be above knowledge or a truer knowledge or more real knowledge or sometimes a more intense knowledge. And it's a knowledge... It's translated different ways in the New Testament, but many times it's a knowledge that's more than just knowing it. It's knowing it by experiencing, by living it. You, you, you are so um, more than familiar. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but you are intimately familiar and, and, and aware of this knowledge. You, yeah, immersed is a great word. So, so it's more real. It's like you know each other. We know each other not because we read the back of each other's baseball cards. We know each other because we've lived with each other. And there is a knowledge of God that you've got to live with to really know. He says he wants you to know the things freely given to you. Well, what, what does it matter if you know them or not? Do you know there's a lot of things he's freely given that you'll never have until you know they're yours? Until you know they're yours. You'll never have them. James says, you, you don't have because you never asked. Jesus said, when he told the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother that was so ticked off, he never had a party. His father said, don't you know everything I have is yours? And any time you could ask me. Our bitterness, our disappointments often come because we never asked because we didn't know it was ours. God wants you to know what's yours. In verse 13, he says, these things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Does that mean we're speaking a different language to each other? No, we're still using, I'm still speaking to you in English. But spiritual thoughts and spiritual words doesn't necessarily mean it changes the language, although thank God for praying in other tongues, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about, because he says we're, we're speaking mature things, and he goes on and he talks about these things. It's not talking about a language you can't understand with your mind. It's talking about speaking spiritually, and in fact, another way to translate this is, because really it just says combining spiritual with spiritual, and there's another translation of this that says speaking spiritual things to spiritual people. And he's just said, I'm, I talk differently to mature people than I do to babies. And in the next chapter, do you know what he says? And I couldn't talk to you like mature people. I had to talk to you like babies because you're a bunch of babies. I love that. 
Chapter 2, he just like lays out, here are the amazing depths of things that God wants to show you. Here are the mysteries. Oh, the wonderful depths of God that he wants to show you. And then in chapter 3, he says, but you guys are a bunch of babies and you can't hear that. Why were they being a bunch of babies? Because they had a bunch of factions and divisions. They wouldn't get along. They said, uh, you know, they, they, they had all this division in the church. He says, well, you're acting like babies, so I can't talk to you like mature people. Sometimes it's a good question to ask. Can God speak to me in a mature way? Or do I need to be talked to like a baby? <laughs> can, God, can God speak to me differently than you would talk to a small child? Can he be real with me? Can he be frank with me? Can he be truthful? I mean, he's always truthful, but can he tell me all the things that I need to know? Or does he have to give me piece by piece because I'm unwilling to mature? Somebody once said, and I heard this, it was, it was somebody that had spoke at my sister and brother-in-law's church, and they, they said it to me, and it really stuck to me. He was talking about how we all have our favorite preachers and books and teach, you know, authors and stuff, and there's certain, certain stuff we just don't enjoy. I just don't like that. I don't like that person. I don't like their style. I really don't like that subject. We kind of just want to stay away from it. And this, this speaker that they had had said, you know, you think you just don't like the taste of it, but perhaps it's God trying to mature your palate. Maybe God's just trying to get you to grow up a little bit. Because I don't know too many kids that like really spicy food, or I don't know too many kids that like, you know, like some of the really deep fishy flavors that you get in, in a really good uh, Asian meal. But, you know, when you grow up, you learn to appreciate these things. And maybe there's some things God wants to mature you into so that you can be filled with the knowledge of his will. And it's going to take a little bit of growing, but growing into him. And I want you to know, nothing God ever calls you to do for him ever needs to be done without him. And so he's going to walk you through it all. It's about your willingness to say, how deep am I willing to go? But he wants you to be full. And I think, here's the thing, listen, I'll close with these next few thoughts, but there is a paralyzing effect that fear has. Fear is a paralytic. A lot of people stop doing, stop going and stop moving in the things God told them to do and told them where to go. They stopped because they were afraid. Two things we could be afraid of. Well, more than that, but I'm going to focus on two things. One of the things is the easy part. We're afraid of what will happen. We're afraid of people what might think. We're afraid of danger. It's, it's the outside stuff we're afraid of. That's one kind of fear, right? It's the Israelites not being willing to go in the promised land. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's you uh, being unwilling to pray for your coworker because you're worried what your boss might say. That kind of fear, right? But there's another kind of fear. It's the fear of displeasing God. On the surface, that sounds like that's not a bad thing, right? Of course, we don't want to displease God. Do you know how many believers I've talked to that I love and care for that are stuck, they're paralyzed because they're so afraid I'm going to do the wrong thing? The desire to please God has morphed into the fear of displeasing him. And the fear of displeasing him will stop you from ever moving into something new. And it'll just keep you stuck 
And Jesus told a parable about a servant who was so afraid of losing his master's money that he buried it in the ground. His two co-workers invested their money and made a big return. He buried it. Why? I'm a, I was afraid I was going to lose it. And I know, you're a, I know you're really good at business, and I know you are, are really strict with your money. And so I buried it, and here it is. Here's, the, here's what you gave to me. Here's the talent you gave to me. I'm giving it back to you. And the master said, you're fired. You're wicked and you're lazy. Fear makes us lazy. And so you notice that when you're filled with the knowledge of his will, you're moving. You're bearing fruit. You're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. You are pleasing him in all respects. So the fear of displeasing God leads us to stay stuck, and staying stuck is the thing that displeases God. Does that make sense? We think that standing still is neutral. Standing still has never been neutral in the Bible. Standing still is either an act of faith when God says, don't move until I tell you to move, and everything in you wants to move, or standing still is an act of fear where you're afraid to step in because you're afraid of what's on the other side. Standing still is never a neutral move. It's either an act of submission or an act of rebellion. So I want you to know, you don't have to be afraid of displeasing God because he's already prepared the things for you to walk in before you were ever born. He wants it more than you want it. And just like a child learning to walk, you're not mad at the kid for falling. You're happy that the kid started to walk. Just in the same way as you start to step out and trust God and say, okay, Lord, I'm walking with you. I, being filled with the knowledge of his will to me used to look like somebody who had all the answers ahead of time. But now to me, it looks like someone who so knows their God that they're not afraid to step into unknown things. That's what being filled with the knowledge of his will is. You know him. And Paul said, my goal in life is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I pray that you'd know him in that way. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray that today.